Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, Hi-Fi Rush, and Resident Evil 3. This is staying in. The spray that I use in my bathroom smells like McDonald's vanilla milkshake. <laughs> How old and are it's really right, stop. It's really stop. messing stop, me up. Stop, please. Stop. Stop. You, really, can't, you can't stop. have that really serious, stop. ponderous um, pause. And it opened with that spray I use. It's stop. really, really messed up. Could, right, okay. Okay. The, the one thing I just need clarifying right away before we go any further is, yeah. is it deodorant or is it a, uh, a scented spray to make the bathroom? Who, who's smelling nice in this scenario, the bathroom or you? The bathroom is smelling okay. like Fantastic. a drink okay. from McDonald's. Yes, that that's that's exactly what it is, and it's kind of it's cooking my noodle a little bit, basically, <laughs> because it smells identical to McDonald's vanilla milkshake. Now, I love McDonald's vanilla milkshake. I love it. I love the taste of it. It's absolutely delicious. Right. It's maybe second only to strawberry milkshake from McDonald's, right? I mean, they only do three flavours, so it's... <laughs> uh, actually, actually, I think you'll find they do a few more than that if you actually ask them. They used to do a tropical. <laughs> I think you can still ask for that. There is a banana you can ask for. And definitely a banana. Chocolate. Well, okay, so five. So Right. So second out of top few. five. Yeah. There's a few. But anyway, the reason that it's sort of spinning me out a little bit is that every time now I go into the bathroom, I go, and I go, oh, lovely, mmm, mmm, lovely. And I'm in my mind, my mind is thinking, oh, brilliant, what a lovely smell to smell, right? But then consciously I know that what I'm smelling is a smell being masked that I should not be a fan of, right? <laughs> right. And it's so my brain is putting these two things together and making me question whether or not I even liked McDonald's vanilla milkshake at all. Um, can I ask, how often are you spraying, Pete? And yeah. how aggressively? I was going to say, is it well, automatic or is it manual operation? It's ma Oh, well, here's the thing. If it was automatic, I would be okay with it because I could pass that out, right? I could, I could think like, well, this is just an automatic thing. I don't know what's happened before in the last previous 15, 20 minutes. It could have been anything, right? No, this is a <laughs> manual smell, right? So when it's being used, it's being used deliberately, not oh, automatically, right, okay, okay. but very specifically. I mean, I mean, you're shining the light on one specific person in your household here. <laughs> no, because it's also, it's also, obviously I'm using the spray as well, right? So you know that you're masking... You know precisely what you're masking. You know right. exactly what you're masking. Right. And it's made me kind of upset because I really do like McDonald's milkshakes. They are a lovely treat, right? But I feel like I'm going to have to either do one of two things. I'm going to have to change the spray or give up McDonald's milkshakes forever. Hmm. You've got to you've got to change the spray because the end game is that day that you go, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to have a nice vanilla milkshake. And you take that first sip and you're no longer tasting vanilla milkshake. That's you're the end game here. Right back to your bathroom. <laughs> do, 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 you think, do you think the reverse has occurred where somebody has gone, oh, I've, I've never tried a McDonald's milkshake before. And <laughs> in that weird kind of Proustian moment, it's right. ruined their bathroom for them. I mean, it's certainly possible. The thing is... I watched that scene from Ratatouille the other day when the guy eats a thing 
and is then transported away. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right into his into his childhood. Right, the food critic is transported away into his childhood, and that's the problem. That's what this is now doing for me. And I'm really worried <laughs> that when thirty I... minutes later you just come round. <laughs> I'm really worried that when I take a sip, that's where I'm going to get transported to. Your bathroom. Me. There are worse places. Is it possible, Pete, to know the brand and how they've described the flavour? Because you say McDonald's vanilla milkshake, but that's obviously not what's on the label. So what's it called? Mm. Is it called called, Vanilla Dream? It is called Vanilla Cookie. Okay. Well, you've you've made your own bed there, haven't you, really? um, It is a limited edition which is the thing that gives me some solace. Okay, so it means so we can't keep buying well, it. Well, no, because what limited edition means is that in a month's time, there's going to be hundreds of those on shelf on shelves in, in a store somewhere for on sale for about 50p. So yeah. you can't shift them. Yeah. You're going to pick a load Surely of limited edition would be something that smells like a McRib. <laughs> could, you, could you set up an elaborate Ferris Bueller's Day Off style contraption? So... Yeah. The spray is activated at random points throughout the day, so you lose that association. You're never sure whether it's a manual spray or an automatic spray. Automatic spray. No, I can't because unfortunately it's it's a hand spray. But that's why it's I just said, a, can you set yeah, up a Ferris yeah. Bueller's... <laughs> uh, but he's obviously never seen Ferris Bueller, so... You know. No. I know what's going to happen though, Sam. What will happen is the contraption will fail and it will empty the entire contents <laughs> in one squirt. <laughs> And Pete will never ever be able to shut and sell his house ever. Um, and uh, here's the master bedroom. Yeah, great look over the vistas of of Bristol. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, is this the bathroom? Yeah, um, no, yeah, we 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 don't go into the bathroom. Oh, why? No, we just don't go. It smells a bit. Um, oh, a, a little bit like takeout. Mm. It smells like a bakery in there. So, I've been building. Oh, building. Is this your uh, kitchen? No, Sam. No, oh. not, not that's too small. No, that's job. in boxes. No. no, actually, Dan, the sink is fit. Sam has seen my kitchen. I've seen as part it, of it's, it, yeah. it's taking as long to build as the Death Star, but it's there. I've got a sink now. I've got worktops. Hopefully a rebel doesn't come along right fan. at the end. And <laughs> I've got an extractor fan, Dan. It's not extracting anywhere in particular at the moment. Because it's oh, got that's no fine. That's fine. Funnel to go into. I think that's what most extractor fans do. I think I they think most extractor fans are just a little motor in a fan, just making a to noise to give the to impression it that like, it's doing yeah. something. <laughs> but I've been I've been working on a birthday present I got last year, um, which is I'm building a little diorama or a book nook. Do you know what a book nook is? Hmm? Oh yes, I do know these. Isn't it? Isn't it like it's it's like a Kindle? No, that was I think that was just called a nook, wasn't it? One of the, one of the yeah. Kindle precursors. Yeah, nook. Yeah, like a nook for books. What do you mean a nook for books? Like a yeah, it was a, Kindle. It was a, it, and, it was and a you nook, think, wasn't it? And you think that Chris Darby is building one? Oh. Uh, <laughs> when he's not finished his kitchen. <laughs> I can't do the big stuff. I can do the small soldering. I'm just doing soldering and capacitor attachment. <laughs> Yeah, that's why the PlayStation 5 was so difficult to make, because I had all the raw materials at my disposal. You had to build your own one. Yeah. Sorry, I'm building my book nook. So this is a little diorama made primarily out of wood that slots slots into your bookcase 
and you peer into it and it's like a little miniature world. It's like you're peering down like a little alleyway. So the one I've got is like a Tokyo street, like an alleyway. Mm. So you, you, well, when it's done, it will look like this. You look in, there's like a, a metro car in the distance. There's like a noodle bar. There's like a residential area with some windows open. There's a little stream and then some blossom that is trailing down into it. And it's got a little button to turn on the lights inside it so you can illuminate it. But it's really, really cool because it comes flat pack. Now, did any of you ever do um, Airfix models? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I never had the patience for Airfix models. I always used to get disappointed when I was like seven. And I'd say, oh, can I have that Thunderbird too, please? You know, because I've done really well in my swimming. And <laughs> get really disappointed when you open the box. And it's just this grey plastic together, that is... Yeah. Yeah. So, but my dad was like, "Oh my word, amazing!" And I remember the next day at breakfast, my dad there building this thing. Like Awake he was now. gone, watching him like soak the transfers to apply them to Oof, it. That was the riskiest like bit: that. the soaking the transfers. But this is like wooden air fix. Hmm. So you get like a lovely instruction instruction manual telling you which sheets you need, and some of them are like different types of wood. Some are like plastic because for windows and things like that, and you pop them out. Some things you just slot in, um, and to make that easier, you get given a little bit of sandpaper just to buff things down. It slots in beautifully. Other stuff, you need a little bit of glue, but they provide that. They tell you where to put the wires and things like that. And I've been beavering away at this since November last year, just doing a couple of pages at a time, and it is such an, an utter delight. And this comes from a company called Rowlife, who uh, started in 2017, and... Every so often I'll just sit down and I'll, I'll go into this zen-like state of watching this lovely little miniature world develop, really. And it's just not a joy. And they've got about four or five in the mix. It's like the same number of McDonald's milkshake flavours. One of them's like a, a magic Harry Potter-themed one, which is like Diagon Alley. But they can't call it that because it's not an official thing. And the one I've got is like a little Tokyo street scene, really. But um, it's just been an utter joy, really, to kind of have that little oasis there. So I get these, I get these little book nook things advertised to me every single time I go onto Facebook. That though the book nooks, right wing YouTube videos, and um, underwear that doesn't chafe are the three sort of uh, the holy trinity. Is that all yeah. one video? And and I guess like so the idea with this is you have you you have all you you have all your books on the shelf and then either at either end or like in between two books you have this little nook and the idea is that it creates this like little like um like sort of like scene or yeah so like that now I've seen it's like a little window and the thing that put me off is is that the one they show on the on the on the videos are all like illuminated and really specially painted and i've then the reason i've never gone into them is because it's like i've always felt like it's that airfix thing right it's like you see the image on the outside of the box and you go wow that looks incredible i really want to own that but yeah. i'm not the kind of person who's going to put in <laughs> like hundreds and no. hundreds of hours uh, into it so so is what you're creating like what the picture says or yes. is it all just bare wood that you've got to paint yourself and do all the electronics no, everything, everything is what you see. Everything that you see on the cover is what you'll assemble. No painting at all. So so you get these layers. Some of them are quite sturdy wood. Mm -hmm. and But you'll get like a layer which is almost like a, a kind of like a cardboard cover. The best way I can think about it is, you know, when you've got like a, a typical mouse mat, not like a neoprene one, and it's got that thin layer of plastic on the top. 
of the foam, the sponge. It's like that, right. and you, you and that you glue that on top of the wood. So it's like a veneer, really, essentially. Oh, right. There's no painting whatsoever. So you, you could literally build it in an afternoon, and it's all done exactly how it looks on the box. That's what I like because I'm not a, I don't have the patience for doing very fiddly painting, and this is, so that that's perfect for me, really. This is, and I get that satisfaction of watching like the metro car is now there, or tram, sorry, is now being assembled, the little individual wooden slats and like the little billboards. And the light and the lighting um, and the lights and stuff that all comes with it too. Yes. Oh, that is cool. See, I'm down for, I'm down for that because that oh, now that like I think you'd love it, Sam. Makes it a, a quite nice little little feature. I have, I have been tempted by them. The 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 I don't really have like anywhere where I display books in that in that way that it would fit. So it is something that you would want to have on display, kind of with kind of a. a kind of a shelf full of books i've got lots of books but not really anywhere that i would put that but they do look like absolutely stunning like mm. that little thing where you do just want to peer right in there and get you can you can see you can tell just from looking at the pictures if you can see the amount of detail that's there that you're not just going to have a glance and see everything there'll always be little bits and pieces that you can you can just enjoy and, and embrace i should say dan that let's stick with this theme i think your downstairs toilet would be perfect because you've got loads <laughs> yeah. of books in there I do, yes. In my downstairs toilet, I have a large glass shelf full of all the books that I have. And I, I just, I'm not sure if that's the place to introduce some small magical worlds. I don't see why not. I reckon I could have done it in, say, a couple of hours if I wanted mm. to just sit there and just do it. But I'm really enjoying just chipping away at it and just slowly watching it develop and build, really. It's like a rainy day activity. And it's just really relaxing, just having some music on in the background, following very simple instructions. Um, yeah. and that wonderful you know that lovely bumpy textured feeling when you've got super glue on your fingers does anyone else like that feeling? yeah, I love yeah. That. yeah. Mm-hmm. that feeling's great and a little bit of sandpaper buffing the wood yeah but this is incredible i'm looking at the one that i think i'm looking at the one that you've that you've got chris and it's it's kind of one of those things where oh you're gonna be you're gonna be absolutely the cock of the walk when you've got this up on your bookcase because because people are gonna like people like me who don't know really what it is and what went into it like they've done a great job of making it look of making it not look like it's flat packed like it it looks like the actual creation of it and the actual um the art design of it like it retains so much of that tactility and and that sort of diy aesthetic like everything still looks like it's been made out of this like cardboard that you just like found lying around like it doesn't have this like horrible plastic manufactured feeling to it it really feels like something that you've been able to sort of cobble together like it is they are fantastic uh, a lot of attention to detail as well like even the little air conditioning um yes. like unit sticking out the, yeah sticking out the side of the buildings yeah this is this is super special so, like, have you managed to get into like a like a headspace for this stuff? Is it the same kind of zen as the the Batmobile and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, definitely. I'm a big fan of building these kinds of miniature structures. I think there's something in that fascination with the miniature. Like, I was in Venice recently in this glass museum, and they had this tradition long ago called. They used to call them desserts. Strangely. And they were these gigantic miniatures made out of glass of like 
gardens and stuff. And I found myself drawn to this material as something architectural, but in a miniature sense. It's it's that mixture of architectural and ornamental that I really quite like. Mm. Like miniature, you know how some people collect miniature figures. I'm more interested in miniature buildings. Miniature, miniature figures. Structures. Tell me more about this. <laughs> <laughs> But there's one game that I've started playing that I've really been quite taken by, and I'm quite surprised I have been, which is uh, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, boy. Oh, so, now I'm interested in this, Daniel. You should Because I was on the fence with this, but I saw some good reviews for this game. I think, I think it has had some... That's kind of why I hopped on board, because I think originally it came out following kind of the Avengers game, which I never really played, and I didn't kind of get a good feel for that from what I'd heard. It felt a bit kind of... I mean correct me if I'm wrong it felt a bit kind of loot boxy and that whole idea of a game being a subscription because the stories would be added to it and so to really experience the full game you'd constantly be having to download extra content and that's just not how I play my games and so when this followed it I was kind of in my mind thinking okay this is just another spin-off from those Avengers games mm -hmm. but it was it was only I'd seen a couple of good reviews so I thought I've got this subscription now this is here I'll give it a go what are you gonna lose what are you gonna and lose absolutely what have I got to lose and so I thought I'd give it a go Just it time. also helped that as I was trying to decide what to play I had a quick look on see who was online and someone's online playing Guardians of the Galaxy so I'm like well I'll play this then uh, victim to peer pressure that I am um <laughs> So in Guardians of the Galaxy, you play uh, just as the character of Star-Lord. So you obviously have the Guardians, which is Star-Lord, Rocket, Groot, Gamora, and Drax. When these first got announced, I assumed you would play as a co-op or switch between the characters, because yeah. that's generally how these games play. And that's how Avengers However, played as well. Yeah, and that's kind of thing. That's how you kind of expect these things to happen. But what this game does is it just puts you in the character of Star-Lord, and it, that kind of accomplishes two things. One enables them to tell a much more focused story because you can sit with one character and you can look at his backstory, you can look at how he reacts to things and you can then kind of look at the characters, other characters kind of from a distance. But the other thing it does is the thing with the Guardians of the Galaxy is the character of Star-Lord and Peter Quill, he's just a normal guy. He's good with guns, but he's just a normal guy. And one of the things that the game does in terms of working kind of teamwork is when you're in the middle of a battle, you take on the role of directing what people do. So you'll be fighting, shooting and running around and melee and all that normal stuff. But you can also kind of on the D-pad, press L1, so on PlayStation, press L1 and then say, Gamora, hit that guy. And she'll run over and she'll take a strike. Or uh, Groot, you do this. And they all have slightly different things. So Groot will usually restrain people. Rocket will usually throw a bomb. Drax is kind of really hardcore melee. And then... Gamora will come in with a big swipe with her sword. So you do have this feeling of kind of directing people. And as a result, it kind of suits then to be the character of Peter. Because if it was the other way around, Peter just... He doesn't really have those special skills that all the others have. Which leads me on to possibly my favourite, favourite part of this game. Because I don't want to go into too much into detail in terms of kind of story or anything like that. Because it, it is a really good story, but it... It has a, uh, a mechanic which I've never seen before, and it's called the huddle mechanic. And basically what it is, when you're working in a battle and you're doing this kind of teamwork, after a while, if you've been working as a team, you build up this kind of energy bar for a huddle. And when it's kind of activated, you can press kind of a combination of buttons and 
you activate the huddle. And what this means is Peter basically switches his Walkman on and calls everyone to him to give everyone a pep talk. And so everyone kind of, it goes into this big cutscene, and the four members come up to you and they say, oh God, this battle, it's we're going really badly. I can't, we're going to lose. How can we manage this? Or it might be like, God, these guys are amazing. Like this, we're doing amazing guys. We're going to win this. And then you have to give them a choice of one of two pep talks. And it's usually fairly obvious which is the pep talk to give you. It gives you hints as to that. And if you get the right pep talk, all of your team get a boost. But not only that, but when you return to the battle, like like 80s music is blaring out whilst you battle. And it's amazing. Like I was like fighting alongside to um hit me with your best shot. And suddenly I'm mm-hmm. like, yes, this is amazing. The first time I did it, I actually got the pep talk wrong. So in that case, I'm the only one who gets the boost. And there's a different kind of music playing. The first time I did that, I was listening to Rick Astley, Never Gonna Give You Up. And when that happened, I was like, yes, yes, this is very, very good. Because suddenly it's just like that whole idea that made the film of Guardians of the Galaxy so popular. That kind of mixtape idea of music and that kind of nostalgia, that's right in there. And there's so much good music in this game. That it's, yeah, when tons. it when it does that and it really kind of gives it a whole boost to that whole regular battle and it's just something I've never seen before. It's it's basically a whole thing of build up energy bar, give everyone a boost, but it kind of putting this whole huddle aspect and that's what Peter is. Peter isn't the superhero. He's the leader. He's the guy who gives the pep talk. He's the guy who held, holds everyone together. These kind of disparate characters who should be kind of fighting against each other. He's the glue that holds it all together. And it's kind of a perfect encapsulation of what he is able to do for this team with this whole idea of just like, yeah, I'm going to play music to, to fight to. And I'm going to put on this song. or I'm going to put on all these great tunes. Or, as I found, Rick Cassie never going to give you up. It was that point that I went, okay, okay, I, I see what you're doing here. And it's that level of creativity that I've just really, really embraced in playing this. I feel a bit weird saying that it's a great game because I'm still playing it now. And at any point, I'm expecting Peter Quill to turn to the camera and go... Oh, just kidding. Here are the microtransactions, kids. <laughs> Do you want to play as group? That'll be $5.99, please. Here's the grind. Like, I'm kind of playing it just going, this is this is really good. This is really good. And this is from the same, it's not the same developers, but this is the same publisher that brought us Marvel's Avengers. And they actually, did, you know, made a really good single player focused, linear, third person action game. And mm. it's obvious, like, you know, some of it feels very sort of bare bones like we but bare bones in the way that i liked in games like stranglehold and wheelman and blood on the sand like streamlined they know what they want to be and they go for it yeah they know what they want to be they go for it even though the budget isn't necessarily there (laughs) the the combat that dan dan was talking about has this has this really nice rts like feeling to it Right. But really, it's just, you know, you you end up pretty much doing like L1 down, L1 left, L1 up, L1 yeah. right all the time, just waiting for the meters to, to flick around. There are some like interesting things you can do, like Rocket has a grenade that like brings people together. like you can, So you can bring all the enemies together, get Groot to smash them down and then get right. Grax to sort of hit them, Drax to sort of hit them while they're on the floor. But really, it's mm. just you, you, you do the motions every time, but it... But it 
as Dan was saying, it gives you the feeling of being a leader. Like Peter Quill literally has an ability that lets you like hover above the battlefield as you're doing this and as you're shooting. So you're literally like hovering around directing cool. the other four members of the of the Guardians of the Galaxy to to fight. And yeah, I just waiting for the penny to drop and it's not dropped yet and I'm sort of five hours in. I think Dan, have you completed it? now no i think i don't i think i'm pretty pretty close to completing it and i mean the the penny that you speak of hasn't dropped okay that's good so that means it's probably not going to i got worried when i found a skin for groot which referred to the guardians of the galaxy film yeah I, Um, i found one for drax for that but they do such a good job of of making it feel so separate from the movies but yet relatable like it's you can come to this knowing what the guardians of the galaxy are if you've only interacted with them in the marvel films but come away having a very very different experience and not not yearning for those characters not yearning for those depictions of the characters that you've seen on screen these are very much still they their own people and their own characters even if they're pulling off the same sort of personality tropes you know like i'm Groot just says I am Groot. Drax is very straight talking and um, just says what's on his mind. He doesn't, you know, doesn't speak or understand metaphor. Uh, Rocket's very sort of angry and aggressive, but still, even though they share those personality traits across the two mediums, they're still very much their own characters, and it's 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 a remarkable job of the writing that it manages to get away with that. Yeah, I think because th- there's there's a number of areas, number of times where there is kind of sort of branching narratives basically in the mm. sense of like like there is a cut scene perhaps happening there's a conversation happening and then it kind of cuts to you and it happens quite a lot but um where it cuts to you and you choose between kind of two different options and then sometimes you'll have the oh rocket will remember this that kind of thing but what i found really interesting is that i think a lot of time when you have those kind of things when it actually plays out sometimes you if you've picked one it kind of plays and you think well that doesn't actually sound like the character i didn't that wasn't how i imagined it and for me every time i've picked an option it has always been delivered and written and delivered in a way that felt true to the character like there are two opposing options i could have chosen and it didn't matter which one i chose the actual it's obviously going to come out with a different outcome but the feeling of what's actually been said by the character it feels kind of really real Mm. kind of and yeah. really uh, you can tell that the writers have understood it and i think it just goes goes into the whole thing of it It creates a really interesting world that perhaps i haven't really seen before like simple things that kind of in- encapsulate that in the in the milano ship you can walk around and in the center there's like a console which like the, the coffee table you can inspect it and it says like this is like a kind of this fancy pants thing which will check all of your weapons and all this stuff unfortunately the subscription has run out so it's not in use at the moment it's kind of like that's that's the guardians they would have had that but it's broken it's not yeah. it doesn't work it's a hodgepodge of all these things, and it's perfect kind of things that kind of lead in and create this world that just feels really real without being that obvious cash into what the films were but also because there is an element of kind of traveling around the galaxy and what I found really interesting is we've all played kind of these kind of space, epic space adventures, the likes of your yeah. Mass Effect and stuff like that. And they're all 
beautiful and lovely and all that stuff. But I always kind of find that they all kind of look similar. Like those like, alien worlds kind of look similar. If you look at Halo, you look at Mass Effect, they kind of look the same. There's lots of kind of big metal monoliths and lights and all this stuff. The, the world you go to in Guardians of the Galaxy genuinely feel alien. Genuinely feel like like there's a place with like m- huge massive mushrooms or there's a whole thing where uh, so much of the planet is all on these massive platforms and it's everything feels interesting there's a few areas where you're kind of industrial zone type thing mm-hmm. where it kind of feels like you've already seen it before but i'm I would, I would go to all these different planets and they feel new they feel interesting they're doing interesting stuff that feels like someone's actually sat down and they've not taken the kind of cookie cutter alien world let's pop it on here get some space lasers um abc done there's a lot of thought like when you go to like the the um the planet nowhere which people may know from the films and stuff there's so much interesting stuff going on around the world that you kind of want to explore it and it's just walking around you kind of look around and everything is interesting so colorful and bright and it's just we're so used to kind of drab like silvers and browns and stuff for those kind of worlds a lot of the time whereas this you go to places and it's huge kind of contorting pink vines that go around and it's just everything about the game i've just found to be really interesting it's been an absolute delight it really feels like we've turned a corner in sci-fi and video games whereby we went through that the era of the brown the gray the silver and now i think we're much much further now into the uh the more colorful sci-fi feature and and not even necessarily like utopian stuff still still dystopian stuff but stuff that is more than just here is the desert planet here is the mud planet like you know playing outer worlds recently and it's the same mega megafauna absolutely everywhere like you know even on the like standard normal grassy planet there's incredibly colourful creatures on there mm-hmm. or, you know, there's bright neon signs from, from uh, you know, it, it's a future that's bright and, and it's bold, which I think is, I think is a more interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just more interesting. What, can I ask what are the merits and limitations of it being a solely single play experience? Because you said it's, yes, it makes you feel like a leader of this ragtag crew. But I'm just thinking if the four of us had encountered this as a multiplayer experience. And we've said in the past that typically for us, those kinds of experiences are seven out of 10 games. They seem to be the best ones for us. Would we ruin this (laughs) if it was multiplayer? That's what I'm saying, basically. Would we lose some of the lovely things that you were talking about? I I think the whole game would shift because I think if it was a four player, if it was a four slash five player game, then the whole of the emphasis would have gone on the combat and would have gone on of, of, of how that, of how that works however with guardians the strength is the writing the strength is the character and the story that it's trying to tell which is why the combat is kind of not pushed aside but it's very 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 streamlined like the writing is so sharp it's really really good like if you think about you know any dramas you see any really good sort of even comedies or anything like that it's very, very rare that you get more than two or three people on screen speaking at the same time. Whereas in Guardians, you've got five characters with all with something to chip in, all with something to say, all yeah. of the bloody time. And don't get me wrong, when you're trying to do puzzles in a room and they're all just berating you for the whole time, <laughs> it's a bit annoying. But on the whole, 
when you're like getting from point A to point B and just you know going through these interesting worlds the conversations that you have on the way feel incredibly organic and they feel like they've come from a place of genuine understanding about who each of these people are and with a history behind it as well like there's very little sort of exposition like no one ever says you know oh peter i bet you're a bit sad because you know your mum died and you don't know where your dad is oh boohoo like there's none of that sort of the writing is only there to serve the character in the story it's not there to ever serve the player in a way like one on one occasion i was in this place and rocket had tried to basically um to help us get out of this location he jumped onto this drone which was floating around this antagonist and we were there we were meant to like distract the antagonist whilst he was working on this drone and so you do all the like little like choices and have like all this like nice snappy dialogue and i didn't do it and in the and and he got found out that he was trying to like um, hijack this drone in the corner it went, went rocket will remember this you didn't give him enough time to dismantle this drone now you've just got to wing it <laughs> and i was like there's just there's, there's as well as that like in-depth wonderful like character building it does all the time it just has a a a, a general wit and self-referential uh, behavior to it which really rounds off the the whole package which which i think would be absolutely like can you remember any dialogue or any story from lost planet 2 no because we were talking over it yeah <laughs> I, th- I think the i think the key thing you've just said there sam in describing that scene is you described it as obviously rocket doing that and then you said and we had to delay yeah. things we had to distract him you're yes. taught you're you're only in control of one character but you but it feels like you're the whole team that you are in, that you are looking after the whole thing and i think that's kind of a really interesting thing there that you just said kind of off because that's the feeling it gives you a feeling yeah. the feeling you give gives you of your concept just like with when you're playing uncharted or the last of us or things those naughty dog games where you've purposely got like the God of War games where you've purposely got multiple characters on screen at all times to have conversations to enhance the world and as you say we've got those five characters there and the conversations are consistent and the characterizations are consistent you've constantly got an animosity between Gamora and Drax and that never really resolves itself because of the history that they've had this hasn't been pulled in from the films where they've perhaps kind of settled their differences a bit like the whole thing of Gamora being Thanos' daughter exists in this kind of the in the, in their relationship um and it's and it's that consistency which i think really just sells the whole storyline i've been playing another um third person action game Ooh. and it's kind of been my little companion alongside guardians of the galaxy because um, it's like it's it's slightly the same as in you know it's very linear. You walk along these corridors. There's a little bit of platforming to do. You walk into a room and all the doors shut around you, and then you've got to defeat the enemies before you can then move on to the to the next section. However, there is a slight twist to how this game plays. Now you may you may have seen it and you may have heard about it, but it was kind of like like Shadow released earlier this year. It's called Hi-Fi Rush. Okay. So it was released with no fanfare, no trailers, no hype, no nothing. It was just released. It's published by Bethesda, but developed by Tango uh, Gameworks. And unfortunately, at the time of recording, it's only on Xbox and PC, and I've been playing it 
courtesy of my Steam Deck. Oh, you got a Steam Deck, Sam? Oh, yeah. Yeah, do you want to hear more about it? No. But the main <laughs> crux of Hi-Fi Rush is that it's a um, it's a rhythm action action game. Mm-hmm. So think Guitar Hero meets Devil May Cry. So I think Thank Pete you. will immediately love this game, give it 10 out of 10, because all the protagonists are named after food or tea. Perfect, 10 out of 10. No, straight in. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to, Slam, he doesn't even need to play it. Yeah. He doesn't even need to play it. It's done. So uh, there is... There are character in it. There are characters in it called Macaron. There's a peppermint. Um, there is a cat called 808, but that I think that's referring to the 80s drum machine than it is a food. All oh, right. Um, um, but you play as Chai, um, who um, volunteers to be part of this thing called Project Armstrong, which is basically like a, a program where they replace certain limbs with cybernetic parts. Mm. And then you go and like take part in this like volunteering um, program. So he's a disabled character. He has an arm that that doesn't work. You don't you don't know why. He just, he just has a, a a disabled arm, and he gets he volunteers for the program. But something goes wrong during the during the process, basically, and uh, his iPod falls into the machine with him. So he gets this new <laughs> metal arm. But he has, mm. his iPod also gets fused into his chest. So, like, you know, Iron Man-style sort of glowing radial in the middle of his chest, but it's got an iPod in it. And from that moment on, the entire world becomes filled with music. And everything you do in the world from that moment on and everything that happens in the world from that moment on is in beat with music. So as you run, as you're taking steps through the world, each of your steps is in time with the music. NPCs will move in time with the music. So if they're just standing there, like having a chat to, to one another while you're wandering around, they'll sort of like like nod their heads and like, or maybe they'll yeah. like click their fingers in time with the music. Like in there, it, there's some like industrial zones and a bit like a, like a 1940s Walt Disney cartoon, like the chimneys will like pop up and down in time with the music or like pistons or like move in and out in time with the music so everything as you're going around is like in sync and it's this it creates this hallucinatory experience where everything's just like perfectly in balance and everything's Mm. just harmonious everything's harmonious Uh, but of course it's not harmonious narratively like you've got people to kill or robots to (laughs) to, um, I do I do love like I do love plot devices that make absolutely zero sense. However, are <laughs> just, just a... fun enough that you kind of go, you know what? I don't care. It's <laughs> great. Yeah. What? Why, so... why is there music? Oh, an iPod fell in him. Oh, okay, <laughs> fine. That's cool. <laughs> this is a this is a very PlayStation Two era video. Game. Yes, isn't it? I mean, mm. it feels a lot like the uh, Jet Set Radio. Yep. Um, sort of generation of it feels like that time when capcom was doing stuff like god hand Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. like uh and uh beautiful joe yes this 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 this, i mean i'm watching videos for it at the moment it looks like a 3d beautiful joe in some ways Um, yeah it's got the same cell shaded um art mm. style and and the 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 animation, the story, and the writing is sort of flits between incredible but also 
quite lazy and shonky. Like there will be some incredible moments and then Chai will say something like, oh, you sound like a video game tutorial. And you're just like, no. oh, you just <laughs> lost the entire... Right. 9.5 <laughs> out of 10, fine. <laughs> yeah, momentum you were going for. <laughs> so how the, so as well as like infusing itself in the world, what the actual like interesting thing and why I absolutely love this game is that the music feeds into the combat itself and the combat and being successful in the combat relies on you being able to sort of play to the beat of the music so the aim of the game is to essentially hit enemies in time with the beat the more you hit enemies in time with the beat the the more damage that you will do and just like devil may cry or games like that your the aim of the game is really to like build up combos and like string yeah. attacks together and you're ranked at the end of each fight so you'll get like a you know a ranking based on how your your highest combo how quick it was to uh, clear the um, area and um, how good your timing was. Now, it's a bit untrue for me to say that the aim of the game is to hit enemies in time with a beat. The actual aim of the game is for you to press the button in time with a beat. Yeah. Because I think what Hi-Fi Rush does, which I appreciate more than anything, is at no point does it want to sacrifice the joy of the experience um, in case you just have a little bit of naturally bad timing when it comes to music. so Perfect. And what I mean by that is, even if you press the button off the beat, Chai will always hit on the beat. So visually, you're always seeing a perfectly in-tune, in-sync version of, of the game and what you're meant to be playing. There's also never that horrible moment where you falter when you're building up a combo do you remember did you guys ever play rock rock you must have played rock band and guitar hero right yeah oh yeah yes. i was in a band you know that bit where you're at the end of you know you're at the end of um muses um horses of whatever it is nice and you've done all the and you've done all the and you're like a hundred combo and then and then you miss it and it goes yeah i hate that and you just go, oh! In this, it avoids. <laughs> it manages. That's to really avoid, good. That's really good. That. If, it... if, if if you miss a combo, you just you just miss a you just miss a combo. The the music carries on playing. Have you, Sam? You've played you've played Sinara Wild Hearts, haven't you, on my Switch? Yes. I, yeah. That it, what you were saying reminds me of that, and I just wanted to ask actually, how long is a typical level in this? Would you say? Um, probably, um, I'd say levels are quite long, probably about an hour each, but they tend to follow, uh, a quite a recognizable pattern where there'll be a bit of platforming and then there'll be like a boss or some kind of big event. And then there'll be another part of the level, which will be a bit more platforming and a bit more like of a boss. So there's like, I think there's six bosses in the game. So each level, um, or each songs, I think it's called in the game is, is, um, is is broken up in that way so it's quite easy to tell it's quite easy to check in and out because you kind of you know when you get to a denouement a sort of like a, a a bigger grander fight that you're able to to stop and the levels themselves are also songs so there's songs that have been specifically written for the game which will be which will play throughout the level and at first i thought it was going to be right i'm gonna to have to listen to this same song playing over and over again for an hour 
maybe more if I'm not very good at the game. Yeah. But what it actually does is the song will um, change as you go through the level. So sometimes you'll be listening to the full to the full song, but maybe it's just like the verse, and then you'll listen to the chorus, and then maybe they'll take all the guitars and the keys out, and it'll just be like the bass and the and the drums just like hitting away for a bit, so you get a bit of a slightly different feel feel for it, and then you enter into arena and you fight. And then suddenly the the song out of nowhere, as your combo grows, gains like extra levels and like like guitar solos start playing. You can hear the crowd chanting your name and the whole experience gets fuller and brighter and verdant. And it's it's incredible. And I've never been the one for remembering things like combos or really like going for that. I would just like maybe remember two combos and just those would be my go-tos and I'll just yep. do whatever. Yep. But because of the link that this has with with music i can like i can fire off like four or five very quick combos because i'm not remembering the button presses per se i'm remembering the rhythms and the and the sort of the the, the patterns with the music as it's as it's happening so it's it's yeah it's such a interesting and vibrant game and the music as well i think is perfectly pitched for someone like me who was you know really getting into music in like the early thousands because it's got this wonderfully like late 90s grungy style to it like during the boss battles you'll get a properly licensed track so they have things like the first boss battle is to a song by nine inch nails that's cool and you get introduced to the game with a song by the black keys as well so it's got that it's got like a really grungy but poppy beat and sound to it as I said, unfortunately, it's only for the Xbox and the PC at the moment. But um, I, I hope, I mean, Bethesda's owned by Microsoft now, so I don't know whether it will ever come to anything else. But I absolutely adore it. And, and I, it will definitely be in my Game of the Year conversation that I have with myself um, at the end of the year. It's really, it's really special. I love it. One of the games I think we um, all got into... Well, one of the games I think that we we owe a lot to is okay. a game called Catan. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Heard of this? The little Catan? game that could. The little game that could, eh? And obviously, if you if you follow the, the gaming news, then um, the creator of it, a guy called Klaus Turbe, actually passed away relatively recently. He was the creator of Catan. And, uh, you know, pour out a, a, a fiddy for him. Um, <laughs> fiddy? Uh, a fifty? If it, is it a fifty or a twenty? What, what do you 40. pour out? Is it a forty? Four or forty. Oh. Yeah, split 40 it down the middle. Ends. I'll tell you what. Then yeah, split it down the middle. We'll, we'll pour them out a forty. And uh, as listeners will probably remember, we went to uh, a couple of episodes back. We went to Aircon, and one of the things that if you follow us on Insta, uh, you'll know you'll have noticed is that I picked up uh, as part of my haul uh, from Aircon. I picked up Catan Scenario: The Helpers. And so I broke it out the other day because because I thought I got a little bit nostalgic for Catan, and I I, I got thinking about it because I actually love Catan. I know we're not all, I know not all of us are massive fans of it, um, but I think Catan is one of those games that I think we all accept that there we owe a huge debt of gratitude to that game for essentially kickstarting board games. Right, like yes. b- board games in the way that we know them now. Like before, I played Catan, yeah, absolutely, yeah. and like I think we, I played Catan. I think one of the first times with with you, Sam, Chris, Dan. I think we were all Sam's together. Yeah, I remember birthday, that was probably it? the first like new 
new board game kind of after my youth of kind of monopoly and stuff but right uh, right we and, played that together. Um, and i've never i've never forgotten that and it, it was a game that i really really enjoyed playing and i still enjoy playing in fact i play Catan quite a bit it's one of my favorite games i've got a whole bunch of the big expansions and and all that good stuff um, so I picked up uh, Catan's scenario, The Helpers at Aircon, and um, didn't know really what to expect from it. It came out, I think it was last year, 2022. There is a There was a previous version of it in 2010, uh, but this is like an updated version with a couple of new cards and all that kind of thing. And this is different from the usual Catan uh, expansions. So usually with a Catan expansion, you get some major new feature uh, or part mechanic within the game, which is, uh, so with seafarers, it's surprise, surprise, seafaring, uh, you know, traveling from islands to island. Uh, with cities and knights, it's mostly about cities in your space and it has more of a focus on things like knights and, and, and not combat per se, but, but slightly more aggressive actions, um, those sorts of things. Um, the Catan scenario, The Helpers, is a much smaller expansion, and it's uh, it's about a tenner, so it's about what fifteen dollars. Is our exchange rate still okay? Yeah, maybe fifteen dollars, something like that, US. And what you get is basically a small box of twelve cards, uh, each of which are a character, and the each of these are the helpers of Catan. And one of the things I think that Catan gets a quite rightly slightly negative name for sometimes, certainly from people who aren't much of a fan, is that it can get a bit swingy. Uh, it is quite random in places. And one of the things that I've found with Catan is the further I get into it as a as a as a game, I found mm. that the more the expansions reduce the randomness the more I enjoy Catan. So um, Traders and Barbarians, for example, introduces a whole bunch of new things that modify down the randomness, uh, which is really good. And this Catan scenario, The Helpers, is similar in that way. So what it does is you get these 12 different helper cards and they are double-sided. And effectively what they do is each player of Catan, and remember the core idea of Catan is that you are building out settlements, building roads to connect those settlements, building cities on top of them, you know, mm -hmm. uh, getting victory points and winning. That's kind of like the core idea behind Catan. What happens in this one is each player has a helper, essentially like in their hand. And what this help helper can do is kind of various, really. Each one has a special power. So there is Ryan, picking one at random. Ryan. Ryan. So Ryan, <laughs> after you do the production role, so this is where you figure out, have I, am I generating wheat and wood and wool? Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. After this has been resolved, i.e. all of the resources are given out, you may choose one opponent who has more victory points than you. Look at their hand of resource cards and take one of your choice. Oh, my now, word. That's a special little power. And then when you use that, so you have your... Ryan, and it's on the sunny side, so that each card has sunny and nighttime, daytime, nighttime. And you you can say, okay, well, I, I'm going to keep hold of Ryan, and now that I've used Ryan's power, I'm going to keep hold of Ryan. You flip the card over to the nighttime, and then after you use Ryan's power a second time on 
the next turn or whenever it is that you want to use it next, you then have to trade Ryan in back into a pool of the other helpers. As I say, there are 12 of them in total. You trade them into that pool of other helpers and you have to choose another one. So you're constantly shifting and tweaking what kind of powers you have at your disposal to help mm. give you the best advantage for whatever you're lacking in. So it's like a temper agency. Yeah, that's exactly it. Helpers, right? So obviously we've talked about Ryan's one there of you know basically taking taking points, um, almost like the uh, the blue shell there. Ryan is essentially the the Mario Kart blue shell of catching back up to the the, the person that's yeah. in front. Well, Stina, uh, she is, she basically allows you to trade <laughs> as many times as you like with the bank in one turn at a cost of two to one. So usually you would trade resources of four wheat or four sheep or four wood for one of any other resource. Well, with Stina at your side, in your turn, you can trade two wood or two wheat or two wool for any one resource that you want. And what that means is if you're particularly stuck, let's say for example, you, there are you know five resources in the game, in the standard game, if you've only got access to three of them or maybe four of them, and you really are struggling to not get that fifth resource all of the time, you just, you know what it's like, you're always, you know, it's always, with Catan, it's very mm -hmm. easy to get into a position where you just don't have this one resource, right? And nobody wants to give it to you because it's, nobody has it. Well, this two-for-one thing is a really powerful ability. It allows you to then... It allows you to have more control over the randomness of the standard dice mechanic of how you generate resources. So I, I obviously can see how kind of the helpers affect your strategy when you're playing. Mm -hmm. Does it affect kind of like the way you play in terms of what helpers other people have? So, for example, using Ryan as an example... Would you find yourself perhaps stockpiling certain cards? So if someone did try and take a card from you, uh. now it's kind of less obvious which one you kind of you've got some safety net there. Do you find yourself playing slightly differently to combat what other people might have? Yes, for sure. So, for example, in situations in which I know that my opponent has access to Stina and her two for one power. I am much more likely to want to trade with that person, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. Because basically, while while I'm while I might be able to be like, well, you know, maybe you make it worth my while and give me two wheat for this one wool. Well, if I know they've got Stina, I can be like, well, I actually do need that. I actually do need what you have. So I'm much more likely to work at one for one, right? So I'm I'm changing my strategy to build around those ideas. In addition, there are, is the character of um, where are they? There is one really. I love fantastic. This. It's like it, it's it's just like blind. They turn Catan into blind date, really. <laughs> it's just like Ryan, come on down. Ryan's a thirty-four-year-old labourer from Catan. Oh, he's gonna make your wood really sellable. Go on, go on. So, Hyog mm. Hyogni. Hyogni, hopefully I'm mm. saying that right, H umlauted O G N I, Hyogni, is a shipbuilder, okay, with a and, and a highly gifted craftsman. You may remove one of your end roads, so a road that doesn't connect any other piece of, uh, connect to anything else other than, you know, it's like a hanging off at the end, basically, right? It's like on its way to something else. You may remove it 
and then place it on another location instead, as long as you follow the rules of placing rogues normally. So let's say, for example, your opponent has just done something to you where you're like, oh, okay, they've blocked me off on this thing. Then I might want to use that to circumvent them blocking me off. But more yeah. than that, Let's say I'm playing for the longest road. Maybe two of us out of a group of three or four are playing for the longest road. Well, it might be that a, an action that I took earlier in the game really made me not think too hard about where I was placing my roads and it kind of locked me out maybe of having the longest road victory condition. Yeah. Well, now, well, now what it allows me to do is actually change that around. I actually used that card in the last time that I played with Alex to to divert a road that I'd previously built into a different direction, played that card, built another road, and then built a settlement, because I had just enough resources to do all of this, slap bang in the middle of her longest road that she had, broke the road in half, stole the longest road victory card, which is worth two victory points, and in the end, that was what helped me win the game, right? It's these little things that... that yeah, they twist the rules a little bit, and that's that's fun in and of itself. But once again, it's that thing of giving you more options to think about, more yeah. strategy to utilize, without doubling down and really becoming the only person who can do that. One of the things in Catan that happens very often is somebody becomes the wheat king or the sheep king, right? Like, oh uh, yes. And that's because you're the person who basically controls the thing that nobody else has got access to. <laughs> that's all the resources, this, yeah. In this you know, you're just... You're Ryan King. You're Ryan You're Ryan King. Who's Ryan King? I think as, as someone who really doesn't like these types of games, not, hang on, that, that's, that's wrong, because I do, I do like these games, but I'm, I'm rubbish at them because I am terrible at bartering. Absolutely. Sure. I just end up offending mm. people like round one and then I'm done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I, I, this, this is really intriguing because in those environments, I can still be bad at my bartering, but mm -hmm. having these cards gives me another way in that yeah. I can like yeah, yeah. I can mm -hmm. kind of combat the fact that I'm terrible at it but it's okay because Ryan's going to come and help me and I'm going to just take what I want yeah. anyway yeah. even though I've, I've asked Sam for two wheat and he's throwing them back in my face on um, principle no I don't like Catan but this this gives me this gives me pause for consideration to play it again definitely because I think that yeah, as you're saying, Pete, though the the ability to get yourself out of a hole or to emphasise, um, put a bit more sparkle on things like the trading, really appeals appeals to me. So it Catan continues to be one of my favourite games, and uh, yeah, I, I my, myself and Alex have been playing it a lot more recently, and I'm going to keep delving into more of the expansions and and all that sort of stuff uh, as I continue to go on. I don't think I would play Catan Vanilla anymore i don't i, I just don't think no. it's another cookie that mm. <laughs> vanilla cookie gets um uh, uh, i think that's the end of the podcast isn't it really well i do have to um be honest with you and to say that i recently did moonlight on another podcast recently what? um and i did promise the creator of said podcast that I would mention it on our podcast, um, so I hope that's all right. But I, it, it was Richard. I was on Weird Not Wizards. Oh, okay, right, fine. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll friend of the show. That. 
Willow. That old friend of the show, Richard. Now Chestnut, yeah. Um, he he was on because it was a very special one actually because he was interviewing Sherwin Matthews, who we have spoken about a bit on our show as well because he was involved with the creation of um, Horizon Zero Dawn and Resident Evil Two, and also Resident Evil Three. The and board I thought, games, board games, and all great board games actually, and all great video game adaptation board games and it mm. was a really it was a really great chat and i just kind of i knew that richard was speaking to sherwin and i kind of <laughs> just invited myself to the conversation um great. because i was just really I, I just really wanted to know like more what about, sherwin thought about squash <laughs> what sherwin thought about full strength squash actually we spoke more about lawnmowers and um and a game that richard was pitching in a way about running a coffee shop anyway <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just really want to know more about his process and what what he goes through to take a video game and turn it into a board game. And it's quite interesting to hear him speak, actually, Pete, because I know that when me and you have spoken, or should I say you have spoken to us about the process of, of making a video game and when you're first starting out of doing it, you you the first thing you do is like boil it down to its core tenets, like the 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 pillars, the things that are going to hold the whole project together. Like, what yeah. is it? What are we actually trying to do? Yeah. And he comes at it from exactly the same position. Like, whenever they when they were adapting Resident Evil, for example, they were like, right, what is Resident Evil? What what do you feel when you play it? What are the, the mm. main mechanics? What are the drivers for it? And they use that to actually push through the development, which is why, you know, me and Chris could attest to this, like why Resident Evil 2 and 3 feel so good and so much like the video games that they are that they are they are aping so if you if you'd like to know more then please feel free to go to um search for we're not wizards and you can hear more of me on there and i guess while i'm here i can i um chris and i played resident evil 3 the other day at board beans in northwich and we had a great time Um, we did okay a, a much better time than the um, than the foursome did on the table next to us who decided to play Root having not played it before. Oh. Um, that was... Oh, that, oh, that, oh, that's not going to go well, is it? Okay, right. Well, I've got one main question for you about Resident Evil 3. It is about Resident Evil 3. Go on. Is it better, the worse, or same as Resident Evil 2? It's better. Yeah, particularly components-wise. Components-wise, oh, it's miles better. We spoke about Resident Evil 2 on a previous episode of the podcast. So I won't go over like the mechanics of how it works because it actually works very, very um, similarly to Resident Evil 2, which I actually asked question, actually asked Sherwin about on the podcast with Richard because, you know, it, they could have easily like changed up some of the formula or done something a lot, uh, a lot drastic, a lot more drastic with it in order to capture a, a bigger market because they're you know that they're, they're they are hefty products to buy like they're plus 100 pounds um to buy so how are you going to capture people who like resident evil 2 right now you can buy resi 3 and but it's is it just the same game well yeah it is kind of the same game but they make so many quality of life changes from the components to the box that it comes in actually having space to house the components the rule book is just slightly sort of better laid out and some of the rules are actually like clarified there is there is one thing i think they 
do change which might sway your decision in terms of either choosing Resident Evil 2 or Resident Evil 3 and I think that it's basically how the um, objective and how the campaign system is organised. In Resident Evil 2 it has much more of a drop in and out and kind of you choose kind of what kind of difficulty you want, what kind of experience you want. Yep. You can go through the story linear if you want to, but if you just want to drop in and out, it's actually really simple and easy to do that. However, Resi 3 has more of an open world feeling to it, which is something that, again, Sherwin spoke about on the show, how he wanted to create an open world board game. So one of the things it adds is a map of Raccoon City. And the idea is, is that you have these three locations that you can explore when you first start. But in order to make it to other locations, you have to find certain items to unlock certain pathways That's so you cool. have to like find petrol to put in a car to drive to another location you have to find a key to unlock a gate to go to another location which is really great and incredibly thematic because you it's all building up to the big sort of um um clash with nemesis but it makes the drop in drop out a bit more difficult if you see what I mean, if you just want to kind of just dip into a bit of Resident Evil 3 for an evening without yeah. worrying about the campaign, it's a bit more difficult to pick, oh, this scenario looks good, but you just be, but I get the feeling like you'd just be ruining it if you ever wanted to play the, the campaign, the campaign as a whole. Um, but other than that, I think for, for my mind, 3 is the superior superior product to have on your shelf really component wise and structural wise i think it's it's kind of feels like a superior iteration on what they were trying with two and they've managed to revamp and redesign and um uh, develop into into resi 3 Uh, if you have a food uh, that has been ruined because you've sprayed it across your bathroom, get in touch. Stayinginpod at gmail.com. Um, you can also send us a message via yes. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Just put sent and location yeah. and we'll do the rest. Yeah, we'll do the rest. Yeah, we'll put we'll it all together. Staying in sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, that would be what a great product! Staying incense, staying incense, will make incense. Or for Pete, it would be staying incensed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just anyway. routinely. Um, what else? Uh, Spotify, that's there. Um, you can see that yep. in the link in the show notes here. You can go and listen to Chris's list uh, thing. If you're not, if you if you're a new listener, subscribe, um, please, please, for goodness' sake. Um, and if you're not a new listener, tell a friend please and leave a review if you want apparently they don't help anymore dan we've apparently they don't actually yeah but it helps our self-esteem yeah that's right yeah Yeah, it makes us feel nice makes me sleep at night yeah that's true um and if you want to check out uh richard's excellent richard simpson's excellent please do a podcast and website uh we are not wizards and thanks very much to steamforge for sending us a copy of resident evil 3 all right then all right then all right then